Warriors podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome if you are new here. What you are about to hear is a audio version of a astrology forecast that I shared to my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch, so you can also see it on video there. And this podcast is a place where I share both these forecasts as well as interview conversations with people that I find inspiring. Hey, this is Sabrina Monarch of monarchastrology.com bringing you the astrology forecast for December 15th to 22nd, 2021. We have a full moon in Gemini, Venus stationing retrograde in Capricorn, Chiron stationing direct in Aries. It's a pretty active week. Um, Before we get into it, please like this video, subscribe to this channel, hit the notification bell so that you get notified when new videos come out and leave a comment at some point and let me know what resonates with you. So as we approach the beginning of Capricorn season, the sun is going to ingress into Capricorn this week. Um, So this marks Capricorn season and the winter solstice. This means uh, the return of the light. You know, right now, at least on the northern hemisphere, I'm noticing that it gets dark so early and the days are pretty short. So we're at our darkest hours of the year. For many, this relates to a kind of hibernation, going within and preserving energy. In this space of preservation, the places we work too hard or carry too much baggage begin to reveal themselves as unsustainable, excesses which might fly better in spring or summer. And for any part of us that thinks that that is annoying, you know, I wish I could just carry this all, isn't it nice to also know what is most foundational, where our priorities are, and it's going to be a big Capricorn kind of theme The dark hours of the year can be a magical and restorative time for tapping in more deeply with our roots, being with the quiet, and discerning what is of the most value and priority to us. It confronts us with the challenges and rewards of letting go and surrendering to the cyclical descent and renewal process. So actually letting the descent happen. A full moon in the later degrees of Gemini may symbolize letting certain ideas lay to rest this lunation, right? Like full moons are a completion. They are kind of like a peak. They're a harvest. And um, the tarot associations for the sun and moon in these degrees bring up these cards for Sagittarius in the later Deccan. It is the Ten of Wands. So in this card, we have Atlas holding up the world, right? And then the Gemini in this Deccan, this later Deccan, is represented by the Ten of Swords. So this is literally what I mean about putting ideas to rest. And I'll get more into these cards later. Adding tarot to delineations here is very new to me. Um but exciting as well. So when it comes to kind of letting these certain ideas lay to rest, building up to this lunation at the full moon too, trust that it is making space for what is wanting to come next, like opportunities and joys we have yet to even imagine. Being attached to ideas and concepts born of trauma grows wearying to hold. 
takes energy to maintain. Um, being attached to too many ideas and plans that aren't genuinely exciting can clutter the mind from inspiration. So letting that excess drop and fall away is worth celebration too, even if you know there is some heaviness and intensity implied in this idea of something being laid to rest. So before I get into this week um, in more detail, I have a few announcements. One is that I have a few spaces open for my astrology readings. So I would say my books are open, but at a limited capacity, but I'm hoping to open them more frequently. Um, So the link for that is in the notes to book with me. I'm also accepting new clients for ongoing mentorship coaching work. So that's working with me for six months or a year. And I work with people who are, for whatever reason, seeking to reckon with their personal mythos and personal narrative. And astrology can be a tool for that. And by being in regular conversation with one another, we can open a space for cultivating deeper understanding of the psychic space and moment in time that you find yourself in. And naturally, this kind of space can open up insight and discovery for deeper layers of agency around how you choose to navigate the complexities of your life. And so I use astrology as well as other personal development tools, mindset work, um, and whatnot to work with the natal chart in more depth with people over time. So with some of my clients, we have, you know, brought the natal chart to every session, maybe with clients that are astrologically fluent, and it's a, a source of, you know, dialogue. With other clients, we didn't have the chart up all the time and it was mostly just in the background. So it's really a personalized offering depending on um, what kind of mentorship you're looking for. So I've created an application um, for people who are interested and I'll also leave that in the notes. And then Meteorite is coming again in early 2022. I'll be announcing more details, but Meteorite is a year-long Um, It will be a year long this time. The last and first one that we ran was nine months and it was amazing. It was a advanced alumni program, alumni um, as in people who took the evolutionary astrology intensive and we developed astrological voice and craft and deepened. We had these high level conversations. My students created projects um, and these, you know, amazing works of art and scholarship and research So we're going to do that again. It is going to be new material. So people who were in Meteorite are welcome. People who um, are alumni of the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive are welcome. So I'll be dropping more details and the application for that soon in the coming weeks as well. Here's our week. So December 15th, 2021, Mars in one degree of Sagittarius will be conjunct the lunar south node in one degree of Sagittarius at 12, 12 p.m. Pacific. So Mars has just entered Sagittarius. The lunar nodes travel backwards through the zodiac and the south node is on its way out of its longer year and a half stay in the um In Sagittarius, the nodal axis was in Gemini and Sag, and it's shifting soon into Scorpio and Taurus. So Mars and Sagittarius as um, a general transit, like let's just start with that energy, is bringing vitality, energy, and the drive of Mars to topics like the pursuit of knowledge, travel and adventure, optimism, and seeing things from a larger perspective and maybe forget a few details. 
right? So actually having the will, the enthusiasm toward adventure or toward like, let's see the bigger picture, right? And so people that are interested in astrology or interested in the mystical, um, I see that really resonate with Mars and Sagittarius as an energy because it's like, no, I want to know and I'm willing to go on the quest to know, right? Like there's a, a certain drive behind that. If a town were to suddenly find out that a strange traveler had arrived or a wise sage lived at the top of a nearby mountain, Mars and Sagittarius would be among the first wanting to explore the situation with very little reservation, if any at all. Like, incredulous, like, why wouldn't anyone want to do this? Like, let's go. So this placement relates to the activation we might feel when pursuing an experience, an experience that promises to expand our consciousness or an experience that promises to create an amazing story. Mars will be in this sign until January 24th, 2022. But this initial ships passing in the night moment with the karmic lunar south node and Sagittarius and Mars in Sagittarius could relate to a few themes. The directionality of the last year and a half transit of the North Node in Gemini, South Node in Sagittarius has pointed to a collective releasing or letting go of dogmatic perspectives, righteousness, the egoic compulsion to have certainty, right? Like having the identity of being the knower and needing to know, even if we don't actually know. Um, and this lunar you know, North Node in Gemini has been opening up new perspective or new experiences that might show us more options or pathways than we previously thought possible, valid, or true, right? Just looking at things from new perspectives, challenging our assumptions, really. And just because these themes have been releasing does not mean they haven't been prevalent, right? Cars release fumes and those fumes become part of the atmosphere, Karmic releasing similarly kicks up a mood into the air. The last year and a half has seen tons of ideological division and strong beliefs around what is right and wrong and what the truth is, right? And all these ways of then wording it, Gemini, to either um, collude with those assumptions or like this is the way it is and this is how we must speak with Gemini, you know, or to like challenge it and like, well, what about this narrative, you know, and the proliferation of all these different perspectives for better or worse. As a point of internal discernment, it has been important to know the difference between egoic gripping onto the identity of being right or being a moral person versus dropping into the actual truth of the self and the truth of a moment, you know, sans rigid ideology. The South Node in Sagittarius can relate to an intense uncomfortability around the experience of not knowing and feeling like one should know, right? Either because of my position in the world or who I think I am, um, and then pretending to know to avoid the discomfort. So that forms a complex of like lying to ourselves too, or feigning certainty, um, or gripping onto explanations because it brings that sense of security, even if it's not a good explanation. Whereas the lunar north node in Gemini relates to the counter impulse that can help, which is engaging curiosity. You know, it's worth noting that for a good amount of time, Neptune and Pisces was square the lunar nodes. And I feel like this put a lot of us in this position 
of confusion and, you know, at a collective level too, just like global crisis, pandemic, you know, these kinds of events that put us into contact with an unknown. And whenever there's an unknown variable, people really scramble to find security through certainty. And I think there's been a great kind of working in relationship to, you know, this planetary alignment of the nodes with Neptune square it at the time that that was happening, the theme of the nodes in general to just kind of, um, you know, accept what it's like to be the student of life again and to not know and to have questions and to be able to recognize the difference between actually knowing something like a deep truth rooted in our bones versus just wishing we knew something and pretending we did and to just let it be okay to be curious, to not know, to be uncertain. And it's deeply vulnerable to be in spaces of uncertainty. So Mars on the South Node colliding here could relate to moments that call upon our courage, Mars, to face uncertainty and not knowing from a really honest place where we can really sit with that tension instead of collapsing it immediately into a convenient story or an answer that's not totally true. Mars conjunct the South Node could also relate to choosing to lay down our arms in a historic battle. Whether it's a familiar pattern of war within a family system or a relationship or how we've related to family or relationship internally, right? Or a familiar war within ourselves in general. Sometimes when we recognize that something is a pattern, we can suddenly see the bigger picture and it opens up the lucidity and clarity to make a new choice. Like I'm fighting this battle again, or I'm in this historic conflict that I've tended to be in. What if I related to it differently? What if I gave up my normal modus operandi, my normal defense mechanism and tried something else? Likewise, where we do still feel the impulse to battle, say have a confronting encounter by facing a fear or confronting, you know, a confronting encounter by being in conflict with someone else or just voicing, you know, disagreement, whatever it is, the situation itself may offer some kind of release, such as a shift in perspective or a lessening of attachment. I really, you know, Mars conjunct the South Node in Sagittarius gives me Bhagavad Gita energy and um, Arjuna at the beginning, you know, facing the battlefield and making this decision of, Am I going to, you know, like karmically, do I need to fight this battle? Um, seeing, you know, kinsmen on either side and that question of, is it my destiny to fight this battle or is it my destiny to kind of sit it out? I'm not uh, coming across like a great Bhagavad Gita scholar at the moment, but maybe you know the story. But I think of this when it comes to um, dealing with conflict where we can have that sense like, is this a really is this an important battle? Like, is this is this karmic for me? Is this destiny, you know, or is this a layer of bullshit that I can just let go and stop being attached to? And there's definitely a difference between what we're really called to be engaged with and what we're really called to struggle with versus what we can just let go. December 18th, 
Mercury in 8 degrees of Capricorn will square Chiron retrograde in 8 degrees of Aries at 6.35 p.m. Pacific. Within a larger pursuit of autonomy, freedom, and self-direction, as represented by Chiron and Aries bringing activations around personhood, a mental process around our rules, boundaries, and protocols may be coming into view, Mercury and Capricorn. Within the life that we choose for ourselves, we are also making decisions about what we are and aren't available for. Hence, our protocols and boundaries. At some point in this journey, the wound of Chiron and Aries, so Chiron representing, you know, significant pain points as well as, you know, this initiator kind of guide to the magical quest. Um, and I take that wording from Barbara Hanclough in her book, Chiron, the Rainbow Bridge, guide to the magical quest, uh, that wording. But um, at some point in the journey, this wound of Chiron and Aries could have been that we felt unfairly antagonized that we were on the receiving end of aggressive boundary crossing. At a higher level of integration offered by this square from Mercury and Capricorn, we can make breakthroughs around self-definition where we have the agency as well as responsibility to define our own parameters before we let the environment or other people define it for us. At this breakthrough level, we see boundary violations as mirrors to where we have not had boundaries within ourselves and we fortify from within. So this is not to say external personalities and conditions do not exist, but within a given conflict or impasse, there are untapped places of self-definition or personal agency around where we create open space and availability versus where we are unavailable and do not hold court for certain experiences, right? Where we don't put ourselves on the hook, we don't get overly involved, we're simply unavailable, right? As opposed to overextending ourselves, like leaking our kind of mental energy and our like personal energy into a situation that we actually don't want to be in. And then we're feeling angry and feeling um, cross and all of this when there could have been a stricter boundary in the first place. So the clearer we become about what we're not holding court for, um, the more we can practice, you know, what's the embodiment of holding that kind of boundary and the less we can feel crossed. You know, I think this one is tricky because when um, in a conflict situation where we feel um, like something is happening against our will or something's in our sphere against our will, um, there is that sense of kind of being like under the, the pressure of something else that is acting upon us. And I think working with this Mercury and Capricorn square to Chiron and Aries, it's like fortifying from within what are my boundaries and walls? Um, what is the you know path that I'm walking? What are my parameters so that it's not constantly being um, pressed on from the outside? And we can't control other people. People are free to do whatever, but there's a way that we can relate with the behaviors that we're not available for um, from a place of greater self-definition that actually begins to decrease the amount of that kind of energy even entering our sphere.
And I really want to stress that point too, that it's not about reality changing or other people's behavior changing. It's like our internal receptivity and availability for certain things or certain situations and shifting the dynamic from that place of self-authority. Then we have a full moon in Gemini the same day at 8.35 p.m. Pacific. Neptune and Pisces will square the sun moon axis, which actually calls to mind that dynamic of Neptune squaring the lunar nodes in Gemini and Sagittarius earlier um, in that transit. But right now it's Neptune and Pisces squaring the sun and the moon. We have Jupiter and Aquarius trining the moon and sextiling the sun and the Pluto-Venus conjunction in Capricorn forming an inconjunct to the Gemini moon and semi-sextile to the sun in Sagittarius. So we have, you know, this very kind of mystical infusion with Neptune, the expansive part with Jupiter. And I think the Pluto-Venus in Capricorn is actually part of this question of heaviness versus levity, right? Like Pluto, Venus, and Capricorn is willing to put in the work. Like Capricorn's willing to put in the work. Um, but there is that deeper question going on with this activation of Venus going retrograde as well, where we're kind of tuning into, well, where do I want to apply my discipline? How do I want to develop my discipline? And are there certain things that um, I need to stop working so hard to maintain, such as, you know, a very tiring philosophy um, or worldview, you know, or an idea that is ready to be let go of. So the full moon in Gemini suggests a climax around our beliefs and thoughts, the sun in Sagittarius representing our beliefs, worldview, bigger picture view of the situation, and the moon in Gemini relating to a mental climax, um, mental climax point at peak illumination here by the sun. So the last 10 degrees of Sagittarius correspond to the 10 of wands and the last 10 degrees of Gemini correspond to the 10 of swords. Both are visceral cards, I think especially the latter. So the 10 of wands pictures someone who is overburdened, one who is taking on too much, perhaps an overbearing philosophy, too much weight in an organization without, a, without delegation, too much weight in a relationship, too much work without rest, right? Taking on too much without asking for support. So the 10 of wands, um, for anyone who's listening to the audio version of this, you know, it's a card um, with a person, you know, in the writer weight, it's a person with, you know, sitting on a bench and there's like all of these wands overhead and they're kind of like burdened by it in this deck, which is by Benabel Wen, the Spirit Keeper's Tarot. You have Atlas holding up the world and the Ten of Wands pictured here. And then the Ten of Swords um, in decks, you know, pictures someone who is slain by swords in the back. And so here, you know, it is a similar picture. We have someone on the ground with swords in their back, a snake coiling around one of the swords. And there's this idea of something coming to an end, right? Like a, um, a mental paradigm, a particular thought or situation. Um, so this 
Ten of Swords pictures a final rest. Some painful process has come to an end. There's usually a period of anxiety and mental struggle in the Eight or Nine of Swords leading up to the Ten, but here the figure is slain and at rest. So reflecting deeper on this, leading up to this full moon, I've already had several distinct situations where at a mental level, based on my logic, my worldview of what was possible, I was faced with some tough calls. Tough to me, you know, or tough maybe more objectively speaking, but within my worldview, within my purview, tough calls. As I contemplated the decision I felt I had to make but did not feel ideal, I felt the death or grief or annihilation represented by these pathways. Only after fully feeling how unbearable these choices felt to me, in a true Ten of Wands, Ten of Swords agony, did extra choices spring up that genuinely felt more enlivening. So being in that kind of moment of defeat or futility and that kind of um, you know, the Ten of Swords pictures someone bleeding out. <laughs> it's a painful moment, but then that kind of, okay, it's done, or I've contemplated this heavy thing, and now something else is showing itself to me. So we may need space around this lunation to let certain visualized trajectories die to make space for other pathways to appear, right? And Sagittarius is the, the shooter of arrows. Like, it sets a mark in the future. It's our, it's our bigger picture of our plan, and so as we're operating in that philosophy, sometimes there can come a moment where it no longer is going to work to go into that direction. And we've invested a lot of energy into that direction. And so it feels like such a loss to let it go. Um, and so what does it mean to let certain visualized trajectories die to make space for other pathways to appear? For some, it could be so literal as actually putting in the two weeks telling the group house that you're moving out, right, at, at your discernment. Less dramatically, it could also be changing route after being doggedly devoted to a particular course of action and the meaning of it, right, the mythos of it. For others, it may simply be contemplating those major choices and encountering an integrative or novel thought bubble up from the psyche. The point is that something has become too heavy and whether we need to change the situation or simply change how much weight we're holding is something to be seen. Right? Like, are you in a situation that you feel like you have to deal with all alone, like you're holding the whole burden of it and it's becoming, you know, a Ten of Swords kind of moment where it's too much pressure and it's uh, that idea of having to do it all on your own is kind of dying and making space for asking for help or enlisting some kind of collaborative effort. So you might also think of a fruit on a tree that is growing and growing until it becomes too heavy and thus it naturally drops from the tree. Overgrown ideas can fall and return to the soil, making way for new life. Whatever forms of excess are becoming difficult for us to manage may be felt with this lunation. It may not be big life things like wanting to change career path or changing your big dreams. It could be. Um, it could be something as subtle as a particular view or a particular way of viewing a situation that has overgrown its rent, so to say, in your consciousness and feeling the fullness of it um, come to a peak moment of tension and kind of release and die. 
And think about that too, just in combination with it literally being the darkest time of the year. Um, the moment before the light begins to return, like it's kind of epic, you know, this, this moment in the plot of our lives. And then December 19th, Venus will station retrograde in 26 degrees of Capricorn at 2.35 a.m. Pacific. And rather than go into it in this video, I'll refer you to the last video before this one on my channel, which is an um, part one video about Venus retrograde in Capricorn. I also created an in-depth guide. It's like 14 pages about the transit and about the aspects that Venus will be making during the transit. It's free um, for my mailing list subscribers. So if you sign up for my mailing list, link below, you'll be sent immediately the download of this Venus retrograde guide. So go ahead and sign up for that. Um, you can also watch the part one video. It doesn't have everything um, on YouTube on this channel. Same day. It's, it's an eventful day. We have a full moon, Venus stations retrograde, and then Chiron stations direct at 8.33 a.m. It's like in the morning, this is all just happening. Potent. Okay. So Chiron stationing direct in eight degrees of Aries. Um, at perhaps a basic, the most basic fundamental level, Chiron and Aries is the core wound of existing as an individual split from source, i.e. incarnating as a human and being in this, um, you know, encapsulated identity, being a person separate from being dissolved into the oneness, right? And we have that deeper kind of womb-like memory of being connected and then beyond the womb, you know, being in that kind of primordial or like cosmic space of all possibility and no boundaries and no definition, right? And then coming here and being a distinct being, which is a great adventure and also uh, a bird flying free from the nest and that kind of like, I'm alone now in the world kind of energy. So feelings of loneliness or having to fend for oneself can anchor back to this primordial wound, like I'm alone ultimately. At a more situational level, Chiron and Aries is about activations and initiations around self-assertion, taking up space, and claiming our existence and personhood. Lost my space here on the notes. Okay, I'll say that again. At a more situational level, Chiron and Aries is about activations and initiations around self-assertion, taking up space, claiming our existence and personhood, which is pretty basic in some sense and also so huge. It's like the thing that we're doing in this life. Like we came here, we're existing. This is our, you know, our one life in this incarnation. I don't believe it's our only life, but it is our one life as this particular emanation of source. And so how are we going to be this person? So if themes are coming up right now around feeling like you're needing to assert yourself or you're feeling like you're receiving negative feedback or criticism for your self-assertion, you know, these can all be things that kind of touch on that Aries wound of I'm an individual, like the pain, you know, the kind of uh, existential things that go along with that. A few other things I want to say about Aries in terms of like the, the pain points around Aries that may be coming up. Um, Aries can put up a good tough front, puff out the chest, you know, similarly, some of our activated wounds or pain points can make a big scene when the actual root of the pain is so innocent and fundamental, 
you know, existing as an individual, for example, or like maybe some, some moment in childhood that wasn't excessively traumatic even, but it was just a moment of not feeling, um, fully seen or understood. Right. And like that simple desire of like, I just want to be seen or I just wanted attention became a huge snowball effect of other, um, you know, personality compensations and traumas and wounds when the original moment was just this one tender, sensitive thing. Not to say, you know, some traumas have a more um, obviously intense feature to them. But just speaking here of that tough front with a very innocent thing inside, right? Um, Notice if there's a softer, gentler kind of puppy energy behind the big scary dog energy. It could be healing to touch down into the more tender, vulnerable parts of ourselves as opposed to staying stuck in the place of puffiness and inflammation. So that would be, you know, if you're noticing that you're feeling really defensive or you're feeling combative or you're feeling like someone's your enemy in a situation where they're not, it's like, what's the deeper, tender, sensitive thing that's actually like, what's the deeper, more innocent need or thing that's coming up? Aries can mask insecurity by seeking to be the best at something, securing victory and proving those who underestimated them wrong. At some point in one's personal journey, developing the self via proving an enemy wrong, if even only to oneself, can be a meaningful activation. If it is a tired pattern, though, one might consider what it would be like to activate one's destiny or personal expression without it necessarily being combative or in relationship to an oppositional you know, point. How does one deal with inevitable opposition? You know, there will always be critics and people who don't agree, for example, um, at an increasing level of personal depth and self-mastery. You know, I think of this one, for example, when it comes to like expressing oneself. It's one thing just to tap into what wants to be said and share it. It's another thing to come out and be like, everyone who didn't listen to me, this is what I need to say now and fuck you all. And this is, you know, and like that energy is like, whoa, okay. And like, it's fine if that comes up, like there are moments where that is the response and that's the energy moving. But there is that kind of sense of I'm in a combat situation. There is an enemy. Someone has been thwarting me and there's that emergent like, yes, I'm free of that. I'm powerful. I made it past this. Right. And that might be a a meaningful activation. And if we've habitually related to the world from constant enemy, constant combat, it's always someone, it's always something. It's like, what would it be like to actually hold that life force energy power of like, oh, I'm just here to like express myself in this way. And it's not about everyone that I'm fighting and kind of bushwhacking, you know, to get through. I hope that makes sense or lands in some way. The sun in 28 degrees of Sagittarius will sextile Jupiter in 28 degrees of Aquarius at 4.31 p.m., and I didn't delineate that one. December 20th, 2021, we have Mercury in 11 degrees of Capricorn, trying Uranus in 11 degrees of Taurus. Also didn't delineate that. 
I would say that Mercury trine Uranus generally relates to kind of like epiphanies and electric insights and that they're in earth signs. It may be related to, um, you know, like physical things that we're doing or like if you're moving through, say, like physical tasks or practical things that you need to get done, that might be kind of the fertile ground for those epiphanies to strike. But December 21st, 2021 is the solstice. And the sun enters Capricorn at 7.59 a.m. Pacific. This winter solstice point on the northern hemisphere, and some might say symbolically for the zodiac in general, um, marks the return of the light. The light hours have been fewer and the dark hours more. Capricorn season marks the beginning of the return of the light as daylight hours will begin to grow here and peak again in the summer. Capricorn symbolically connects to this return of the light in the sense that Capricorn has the capacity to trust in the future that one is working toward, right? Capricorn is not the same faith or optimism, say, as Sagittarius or Pisces, but it's kind of this pragmatic, I'm putting one foot in front of the other, I'm working toward a goal, and I trust that my labors are getting me somewhere. Thus, I'm willing to, to do this now. Um... And even if we don't know if our goal is certain, if it's not guaranteed, you know, not much is, there's still that sense of uh, my optimism or my trust in life is coming through my physical actions. Like I'm moving toward the goal um, kind of thing. So Capricorn can delay gratification for a future goal, put in the work now and see the mission through. And I think there's a, a very pragmatic kind of optimism in that and thus the returning of the light. So along this process, there's a side of Capricorn that trusts the future goal and easefully as a result puts in the work, as well as the side of Capricorn that doubts the future goal. At a discernment level, it's worth considering if we are doubting in a way that is actually just detrimental and we need more discipline around not giving into our fears and anxieties. Or if we experience doubt because the soul is calling us down to root into some deeper truth. To reflect further on this, there's a description on understanding Capricorn excerpted from my Venus Retrograde and Capricorn In-Depth Guide. You can read and download the full guide by signing up for my mailing list in the link below. But here's the section that I want to read just about the energy of Capricorn. Capricorn is a cardinal earth sign ruled by the planet Saturn. Capricorn is represented by the sea goat who can both climb precarious mountains and swim deep in the water. Capricorn has a worldly, aspirational, climbing, practical, calculating nature. Capricorn relates to the construction of all structures, including parameters, containers, and boundaries. These structures influence the way that reality flows. Right? So even one could wire their brain in an intentional way and they're creating the neural pathways for creation energy to flow through right the life choices that we make are creating pathways for energy to flow through this is the architectural side of capricorn capricorn relates to the trait or development of the trait of authority what it means to have responsibility in a situation to hold a position of power to influence the design of one's life and have boundaries around what we will or will not accept 
Authority can simply be a position of power that one has attained or been given, or it can be a deeply energetic phenomenon. You feel it in someone's bones. You feel it in their grace, their poise, their integrity, their embodiment, their skill. It could be some combination of both social and energetic. Like I was just getting in my mind's eye a picture of one of my first Ashtanga yoga teachers whose embodiment, the way that she walked in the room, like you could feel the the practice of Ashtanga yoga in her posture, in the way that she moved. And that was like a kind of authority, like she's embodying the practice. She is a visual representation of it. And so whatever, you know, energy that you're in service to, whatever practice that you are in service to, when you embody it, that turns into authority, right? Like someone who is teaching about, what do I want to use here? Maybe like embodiment and sensuality. It's like that person exhibits that authority by how they are in their body, not necessarily just about pleasure and everything being perfect, but like that sense of they are rooted in their bones. Someone who's teaching about, um, I'm using a lot of like teaching examples. I want to think of something else. Let's say someone who um, you're forming an agreement with them of some kind, like a personal relational agreement, and you see that they have a certain track record in their life, not like it could be following their word or um, following through on their word. It could be that they have a lot of positive, fruitful relationships um, in their life. And you can see that they've really built something valuable. And then through that, there's a kind of um, integrity that you can sense in their being because of the, the results of their life. Right. And so you can discern, you know, someone can be in a position of power. Like I was watching, I binge watched Avatar, the last airbender, and I keep talking about it cause I was obsessed, but, um, oh, and in legend of Korra, there's this one character in legend of Korra, who's the, you know, the inheritor to the throne of the earth kingdom, but he's a very foolish character. Like he doesn't actually exude kingly energy. And even though he has like a kind of like bodyguard and whatever, like it's a point of conversation of like, are you really a good king? Like, what does it matter about giving you back the throne? Like, what would you actually do for the people? So in this reality, people can be in positions of social authority and not actually exude the authority at an energetic level. But it's not always the case. There are also people who are in positions of authority who do exude it energetically. So you can feel the discernment. But similarly, in the things that you want to do in your life in a Capricorn way, you don't just want the results and like the visual effect of all your dreams, you know, were manifested. It's also like how you live into that in a deeply embodied way. Um, so for astrology, for example, for people that are like wanting to be professional astrologers, in my opinion, it's not, you know, it's not a regulated industry. It's not like, um, 
traditional therapy where you go and get a license and that's how you start practicing. Um, Astrology is a very Iranian field and there are credentials you can get. You can go to school, you can go to grad school, not necessarily for astrology. Um, You can get a a kind of certificate of a program, but it also matters like how you are embodied in your craft and like your skill. And that matters just as much, if not more than the particular credentials. But Capricorn kind of has this energy to it of very, you know, wanting to be integrated in the world and likes those kinds of uh, status symbols or social trophies or like letters behind the name. Um, But I like to think of Capricorn from an energetic perspective of like, what's it like to actually merge the outer with the inner? So it's like, yeah, you got a degree and you do think very critically and you are a very um, like profound thinker, right? Um, And working with how we match our kind of external actions and external ways of moving through the world with our interior state and vice versa as a way of really embodying what we represent, what our reputation is and all of that. And you can feel, you know, from that, that it's like, it's a very serious kind of archetype or considering our reputation or our legacy is a kind of practice, both of taking responsibility for being um, in integrity with ourselves. And it can have like a little bit of a, a repressive flavor to it, depending on what our idea of professionalism or reputation is, right? Like um, in a conventional political setting, one's sexuality being fully expressed uh, is an issue um, in that setting, you know, or it can be. And that reflects, you know, some social patriarchal whatever issues. But that's kind of like different than, say, someone who is literally working in a sex industry or is a kind of like sex coach or something. And their professionalism means that they get to fully exude that energy because it's part of their work or part of their reputation that they're cultivating. So in Capricorn, it's like, we're not just integrity in integrity by doing the right things in the world. It's also like putting ourselves in a worldly position that reflects our actual internal values. Because if we put ourselves in a public position that requires us to repress so much of ourselves in a way that's not true for our destiny, for what we're here to do, then it becomes incredibly burdensome and repressed. So on that note, one of the potential negative traits of Capricorn is excess rigidity. It is the quality of someone becoming more bitter and closed off to life after experiencing hardships and failures, aka crustiness. So Capricorn and Saturn are both forces of materialization and crystallization. So our habits, for better or worse, forge a structure over time. Structures can be changed, but it is an undertaking, right? So what I was speaking of before was like how we are architecting our lives for, you know, our our greater ideals of who we are in the world. And if that is a supportive structure or if it's too rigid and similarly, our patterns in terms of um, how we deal with disappointment, heartbreak, failure does that shut us down and collapse us and close us off to life? Or do we learn from what happened and integrate that into how we live. 
In a modern context where progress and upward momentum is the most desirable and it's considered objectively or internalized so unfortunate or shameful for someone to be going through a dark night of the soul or a personal downswing. We really miss the sea goat part of the goat. And Capricorn's a sea goat. <laughs> this is the goat that descends. How we move through the dark, how um, we move through uncertainty, through personal failure, through cyclical depression, and the like influences what we are capable of during our upward momentum. It also grounds us in a fertile, feminine, wet kind of truth, that of the soil, that of deep interiority, that of the mystery. So the type of jobs or legacies or reputations in the kind of collective, you know, I'm professional sphere that require a certain deep repression of, you know, eros or sexuality or, you know, power within the body. Um, that's part of like a kind of collective issue with some of those like deeper places, right? And so someone who is seeking to, you know, we're in a moment of great paradigm shift, right? There's a lot of upheaval, right? And doing things exactly the way they have been done in the past may not really yield um, the best results because things are changing. And so a deeper kind of primordial regenerative capacity of Capricorn is to go into those places of uncertainty, to go into those places of introspection, to explore that personal underworld and find rootedness and groundedness in that space. So here we have kind of like anyone who's gone through, you know, something difficult or challenging um, in their own lives or maybe in someone close to them where going into that space they touch something that then they bring back up where it's like you know I used to struggle with um, this kind of self-esteem or like lack of confidence thing but then I found a truer deeper sense of confidence and now that's something that I offer or help other people with you know or I had it all set up for me when I was like a kid to follow the family business and do this whole thing. But I had this kind of crisis about it, a crisis of meaning of like, I don't know if I actually want to do that. And I became depressed and I, I found something in that space. And then that became the seed of the actual work that I did in the world, separate from what was given to me. Right. So it's like that capacity to deeply consider and contemplate where we want to go instead of just pushing and forcing ourselves to do the thing that feels like it's going to be successful or the right thing to do when it actually is like bringing up so much resistance. I think um, I have a little bit more excerpted here from the Venus and Capricorn guide, but I'm just going to leave it there um, here and you can read the rest through the um, Venus retrograde guide. But the sun in Capricorn, you know, it's generally a time we have the new year. People make New Year's resolutions. And I think it's an interesting time for that because it is this um deeply reflective, contempl contemplative, like wintry kind of moment. And it is potentially a space to tap into our priorities or, you know, what kind of long-term goal we want to have. Um, 
And I think that the, you know, New Year's resolution is kind of a cultural, um, as opposed to strictly astrological kind of phenomenon. Yet I like to think about it in, in connection with Capricorn of like, what am I willing to be devoted to? Where do I want to put in discipline? Like maybe I want to work on my fitness in the year ahead and like my health. And that's going to require that I change some things about what I'm eating to eat healthier. And that might feel restrictive to a part of me that wants to eat whatever I want. But because I value this goal enough, I'm going to be able to discipline myself to eat healthy in this way or work out this certain number of days. And you can see how this becomes very personal for where it serves us to be devoted and kind of restrictive and fit a certain path related to our goals and where that might get us up the mountain, but it's not the mountain that we want to be on. Um, so there's a sense of really having to feel into how badly we want the thing. Is the thing a true desire or is it something that we feel like we should want? We have some kind of egoic identity thing about it. Um, and then tapping into what it means to actually resource that level of discipline within ourselves to have a goal and to see it through. Um, it can be arduous. It can be difficult. And Capricorn, I think, really um, finds a sense of self-esteem or kind of self-fulfillment or self-actualization through that process of working toward a goal, crystallizing and materializing something into reality and creative constraint, you know, picking the path and letting go of the distractions or extraneous things to move forward with that. And I think that when we take into that uh, path of constricting and narrowing an architecture that we want to be very mindful of what our priorities are because we're making a track, we're architecting reality or our reality in that sense. And does it align with our priorities and values? Is it true to us? Um, and if we can match that deep interiority with how we're actually moving through the world, success, you know, is a huge part of that path um, and really a great harvest of the Capricorn archetype. So I'm going to leave this week's forecast here. Um, please leave a comment. Let me know what resonated with you, maybe what uh, heaviness of ideas are being let go or kind of exhausted during this time and check out the Venus retrograde guide again, sign up for my mailing list to get it. And thank you so much for um, taking the time to dive into the astrology with me. I love and appreciate all of you. 